Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Corology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 37. And I think what the gift for me is I don't compartmentalize my father. He wasn't a holy man over here and, you know, snorting poppers with me over here at the club. He's like, he's one guy. He's consolidated to me. And that's a great gift. Tina Alexis Allen is an actress, a playwright, and an author. Uh, Her new memoir, Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deception, and double lives, releases today. Uh, As in, right now, it's out. Um... And it is, it is a book, like, I, I got this book a few months ago and spent all of New Year's Eve, actually, just flying through it because I couldn't put it down. Um, it is, I, I, I will say, it is, uh, for, for everyone who's, like, rushing to go pick it up, like, it is an incredibly explicit book, so just be aware of that. But the story is wild, um, and it is a story of a young girl growing up in an authoritarian family realizing that she's gay and then through a process and tina gets into this a little bit uh, because we find all this out in in the first couple chapters we find out um that her dad who is an extremely religious authoritarian catholic man um is gay also and it launches them into this wild adventure. Tina gets into it, so so I won't I won't spoil it all. Um, but uh, it's wild. Uh, so so Tina, uh, she uh, is a breakout star on WGN's hit series Outsiders. She has written and performed uh, multiple plays. Uh, one of which, The Breakup Notebook, uh, she was nominated for a GLAAD award alongside Jane Lynch. Uh, she started and produced uh, the Slam Dance Jury Prize film Phantom Pain. Uh, and then played opposite Teresa Russell in the 2014 feature film Moving Mountains. Uh, Tina grew up the youngest of 13 kids in a Catholic family. Uh, she was a tomboy at heart. Uh, went to school on a basketball scholarship. Uh, worked in the fashion industry after that. Uh, and then uh, decided to to give all that up and become an actress. Um, this conversation with her is just lovely. Uh, we talk about... Of course, her new book, uh, and then the impact that growing up in this world of secrets and deception and and then the double life that her and her father started kind of living together, the impact that all of that has had on her faith and kind of where she is now. Uh, So, so excited about this. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive in. Tina, good morning. Good morning, Matthias. How are you? I am well. How are you doing today? I am doing great. 
I'm doing great. I just finished a meditation, so I'm all grounded and centered and excited to talk with you. That sounds lovely. I yeah. <laughs> I wish I had done that right before this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so to start, a question that I start every episode with, um, how do you identify? Uh, and then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Great question. I, I would say I'm fluid. I am in a long-term relationship with a woman, um, but I've loved men and women. Um, I don't really like labels. Um, fluid is even, it is what it is, but it's a word that means something. Um, but I think, I think growing up uh, in such a devout and, I, and, and sometimes, frankly, hypocritical environment, at least, you know, that's the way I would, would assess it now. I didn't know it at the time. There was a lot of wonderful things about having faith in the house, but also there was a lot of hypocrisy. And I think that that sort of is probably what framed um, my desire to sort of shy away from labels. And because obviously my dad, um, you know, was complicated and living a life that was complicated. And I couldn't even tell you how he'd identify, to be honest, even though I feel I knew him probably better than anyone, certainly in my family. Um, and so I think as a result, I felt like, well, I'm a human being and I love human beings and I fall in love with human beings. And, and that's just what works for me. I, you know, support all choices and other people's choices to identify as whatever. I just feel that for me, I have the ability to fall in love with a person without too much um, label on them or me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that labels can feel so constricting. I think especially like when you grow up in kind of that, like you mentioned, like the hypocrisy of faith that can be so blatant sometimes. Like to shy away, that makes so much sense. Like... Yeah, I think that's probably framed a bit of my philosophy on marriage, too, because um, you know, I have 12 older brothers and sisters. I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot of things that worked, and I learned some things that didn't, and a lot of them got married young. Um, of course, probably to just get the hell out of the house. I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. Stop taking care of me and my uh, other, younger, other younger ones in the family, um, among other reasons they got married. But clearly, I'm sure they were like, there's a better life out there and it's not as chaotic, but their choices of course reflected their age. And so I watched a lot of marriages fall apart um, and people grow and, you know, grow into new marriages, which is beautiful. But all of that childhood stuff, I feel like plays a part. Um, I try not to be a result of it, but it can't help. It couldn't help affecting the framing of my identity. And I think, um, things like marriage and other sacraments, if you will. Right, right. Absolutely. So your your new book, Hiding Out, um, releases today. Congratulations. Yes! yes! <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's so exciting. It's good crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's been a long road. Oh, I bet. Of course. Yeah. 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 So could you, I think, maybe like start by kind of like walking us back into this book. I mean, it, it starts, we find out all this stuff in the first chapter and the first couple chapters about <laughs> you, about your dad, and then this huge twist happens. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So growing up the youngest of 13 kids uh, in a highly um, devout Catholic family uh, is the world um, in Chevy Chase, Maryland. And my dad had a Catholic travel agency. So he was, you know, 360 degrees in the, the world of Catholicism. He was very uh, devoted to the church. I think, in fact, he was going to, there was a time he really entertained being a priest. And and I would describe my father as a layman who acted like a priest. Um, and my house was chaotic. It was, um, he, 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 he drank a lot. There was other issues. And um, yeah, I, I was living basically a secret, um, many secrets myself, which I won't give them all away, but a lot went on in my childhood, a lot of um, crazy, wild, um, some traumatic situations, relationships, if you will. And um, that affected who I was, but I was with a woman, um, very young, too young, um, but then I was with another uh, man, but that, uh, and then I was with a, a woman sort of in my early adult years. And uh, my father suspected that. Um, and now I guess here comes the spoiler. Um, so turn it off if you don't want to hear um, <laughs> for a second and then come back. So It's on the so dust you, jacket. So yes, it is. you're right. It is. That's right. The whole back mm-hmm. is the scene. Yeah. All right. yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Um, this is what happens when you're a, a debut no- uh, author. You don't know. Shit. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So basically my dad, um, took my uh, girlfriend and, my, and myself out to dinner at the time. She was much older than I was and um, proceeded to, uh, I guess, kind of out me like he knew. He, I don't know how he knew, but he, he picked up on it. And then he proceeded to say that he had buried his lover in the war, which would have meant before he met my mother um, in Jerusalem, actually. Um, and he buried his lover uh in Jerusalem, I believe, um, it was a Palestinian, um, soldier in World War II and he had fallen in love. Obviously I was blown out of the water. A, I didn't really like my father very much to be candid (laughs) at that point. He wasn't always a very nice man, despite his faith. Um, he didn't always act very Christian and certainly not to my mother, which I dive into deeply in the book. Um, so it's complicated. So here I became his confidant and he became mine in this very Catholic family. And we kept each other's secrets. And I also bonded with him in a new way, which was lovely. But of course, any adult realizes what I'm saying is also very complicated for an 18-year-old to be managing that. So it was intense. And I didn't know it. I was moving a, a thousand miles a minute because I was still kind of acting out of my childhood traumas. None of that had been sorted out. So now there was a new layer put on me. And our life got pretty crazy together. You know, we ended up at the clubs and traveled the world and, uh, you know, sort of were drinking buddies, you know, and confidants. And I learned a lot more um, as time went on. You know, as the book goes on, I start learning other things Vatican things, Vatican related things and other secrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that kind of like, 
I mean, all of that happens at the, at the beginning of the book. And I feel like even that was like, when I started reading that, I'm like, like, holy shit, like this in itself is a book. And like, that's the beginning. And it just launches you and your father and, and other people into this just kind of, I mean, there's, I think one of the words used in the book is cinematic. It feels like this almost cinematic journey of just like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is a wow. And sometimes uh, I I have read some, some people who uh, like yourself got advanced reader copies. Um, So I've, I've already read a few, you know, early and I noticed, um, um, a, a, a number of people, more than a number, most people say, you know, they, they have to stop and pause in the book and remind themselves it's not fiction. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I guess, cause it's, you know, when it's your life, it's just your life, right? You know what you know, but as I'm getting, as I've gotten older and I've, and I've obviously written this book and I've worked with this material, you know, for a good 20 years and other platforms and creative outlets and psychological outlets and, lots of healing. Um, it's starting to land that it is a lot. In fact, when I was writing the book, there was things my editor just said, we have to take out. Like there's only so much the reader can hold. And I know it's a lot. Um, which is one of the reasons I wanted to write it in the voice that I wrote it in, you know, my younger voice and not, and not couch it or over explain it or try to make you understand why I behaved the way I did. I just wanted to give it the context and let the reader, um, you know, take the journey because it's so big, you know what I mean? It's just so big, so many layers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, it's it's a, you mentioned, I think, at the end of the book, how your kind of life and your family felt like kind of a microcosm of the Catholic Church in general with secrets and authoritarianism and and just all of this kind of circling stuff that goes into all of that and I think as I hear you talk about this it it feels like you've done so much work to arrive at a place of where you can even work with it and I feel like so many people who listen to this podcast are not exactly the same by any means (laughs) because we all have our own our own stories but like sure having to do that work to deal with what we thought was just normal at the time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I'd say the, the main reason I wrote the book was that I, I did want to be of service. I did feel and do feel an obligation because I do feel that I'm, as I like to say, cleaned out, you know, I feel like I've, I've been through, uh, you know, a bunch of rinse cycles and it's taken a really long time, but I feel I'm on the other side of it. And I do feel um, that in writing the book, I was able to, you know, have quite quite a bit of objectivity because it's not like I was just sitting down writing this for the first time, discovering. You know, it's been a long, and it's and it's of course then then it's it's much easier when you can hold your life in your hand like a piece of putty, and be able to pull it around and shape it and pull it apart and not be overwhelmed by it. And listen, I was really overwhelmed for a long time by it. It's not like I just woke up and I'm here. Uh, it, it was a lot of years of, of healing and, um, various therapies and, but I do feel an obligation now because what would be the point? You know, they, they say, um, 
you know, if you've been given a gift and you don't give it away, it's not a gift. And I feel I've been given a gift, um, you know, through a higher power, through something bigger than myself. Yes, with hard work, but also, you know, spirit moving through me to heal a lot of stuff. And I couldn't have done it alone. There had to, there has to be a part of me that's, I mean, that's something outside me, something bigger than me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today talking with you. So I'm grateful and I want to pay it forward if I can. Um, so, so that's a big reason for me to write the book. And of course, these opportunities to talk with you and, uh, and, you know, are wonderful because what I would like to say is that as particularly, you know, as people, you know, who are queer or have, or anyone really who's been through things like coming out, particularly in families that, um, have a, a different, uh, way of thinking, or a religion that they're attached to, and that religion doesn't support, um, you know, our lifestyle. Um, those are really challenging things, and you need most people don't want to just write off their family. And when trauma happens inside the family, and trauma can be, hey, I came out and my parent doesn't accept me or treats me different now than they used to, that's traumatic. And how do we continue to be loving, um, open? You know, how do we continue to unconditionally love them when they seemingly have now maybe put a condition on us? So those are the conversations and the strength that I think we need, um, those of us who are living, you know, an alternative lifestyle when it comes to faith and our families. You know, because people are going to be who they are, but it's like, who are you going to be? in the face of them being who they're being about your lifestyle. Because you can't change them. We know that. You can just say, well, who am I going to be? So this all has happened to me. And then I ask myself, well, who am I going to be from now on? I can't go back and change it. So what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with this crazy story? <laughs> you know, like you wouldn't believe it if it weren't true. I get it. I really do understand why people say that. It's like, wait, that happened? And then that? <laughs> <laughs> and that happened? There's no way. She's making this shit up. Right. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm really not. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so curious as you as you kind of talk about this <clears throat> this process of trying to like find yourself in the pieces, um, mm -hmm. and then and then that process of getting grounded and and I mean processing. Like I mean, you like you you mentioned trauma, like. Yeah, that was a very real thing. And it's a very real thing for so many people. Could yeah. you talk a little bit more about what that process of getting grounded and, f and finding yourself and being able to work through and come to a place of more health? Um, well, um, it's, that's a really good question. And it's, uh, it's a big question. Um, I, I could, uh, what comes to mind right away is space taking space initially. Um, I think for me, that was a necessity. I, um, as I've said, I'm from the East coast and I, um, I became an actor later in life. I had a career and, um, in fashion, uh, a business, business career. And I was, you know, quite successful and I walked away from it. And I think I walked away from it. I thought, you know, to be an actor or, but in hindsight, I, think I had to leave that job at nearly 30 
because I had worked on the outside. In other words, I had gone to school in graduate school. I was an athlete. Uh, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. You know, the physical, uh, the mental had had a lot of attention, and that was a lot of survival years. But by the time I got close to 30, which I don't think is an uncommon time for adults to start saying, ooh, what's on the inside, if they haven't. <laughs> and that's what happened for me. I think I kind of broke. I think there was like, it, you know, I, I hit a breaking point of I'm basically um, – hiding, if you will. And, um, and I've got a mask on, I might have 10 right now, I was functioning, I was doing all that, but something broke. And I think my decision to become an actor, unconsciously was probably part of the process of the journey I took is that, you know, I'm a method actor. So it's a lot to do with what's what's going on, what's gone on in the past in terms of feeling and truth and using your emotional memory and using things that have happened to you, like using you, basically. And and that was a perfect thing for me, that method, because it's what I needed to do. So that kind of started a healing. My brilliant acting coach, Susan Batson, who happens to be Oprah's coach, so I feel in good hands. Yeah. Also, Nicole Kidman, just thanked her for uh, her little lies. <laughs> so Susan is an amazing woman, and she's all about truth. And I think, God bless her, she was my first coach, and she was basically encouraging me to open up. And I ha- remember going into a workshop once. And I remember at the end of the workshop, the teacher, this is around the same time, another teacher, Susan, had sent me to, uh, who did a lot of healing work as as an acting teacher. And I remember she said to the class at the end of the workshop, everybody turn around and take a look at Tina. Do you notice how her face has changed? And this was a woman, her name is Sandra Seacat, who does a lot of uh, dream work and internal work and in, in terms of, of the acting, she again, using yourself. Um, I had a mask on so thick that she clearly noticed when I walked in on day one that my face wasn't even moving. And by six weeks after doing a lot of this work with her, I literally, and so that's where I was. I mean, I think that was, that was the beginning. That's who I was. I was a gal who was highly accomplished, but walking around with basically a stone face because I had been holding all this shit in, which you will hopefully read uh, your audience um, in my book of why I shut down, why the face had to become a mask in order to survive. And slowly, um, you know, it it has evolved, you know, um, you know, I'd say a good 15 to 20 years of all kinds of therapies, in addition to a creative career, which was now encouraging me, in fact, um, celebrating me, if you will, for opening up. So that was a good choice. <laughs> that was necessary. Uh, but I didn't know any of that at the time. I'm just speaking, looking back now. Hmm. Uh, so does does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think... Those, those journeys are like so powerful and, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, it, it sounds like you had to give your very self to that work. Um, it's funny. I feel like I may even say this in either the prologue or the epilogue, but I certainly feel like I had to take myself on as a sort of project. I don't think, um, and I think anyone, you know, once you read the book, you'll see why, because, um, 
it, it kind of, in a way, had to be a full-time job for a while, even though I didn't look at it like that. And, you know, I, I do a lot of um, yoga and I meditate and I'm not opposed to popping in pretty much any church in New York City if I just want to go be quiet. I'm not, I'm not picky. It doesn't have to be Catholic or any other. If it's open and the doors are well, you know, the doors are open, uh, you know, I will step in. So I'm, um, you know, I, I'm still active and in pursuing sort of my deepening my faith, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think along the way, you know, there were so many levels of, um, deepening and, um, anger, you know, which I don't want to leave out of this conversation because you, you asked me about process and it's like, I said, stepping away, you know, I left New York city after I found acting pretty quickly. And I went out to LA and again, I thought I was going out there to be a star or something, you know, that's what I thought, <laughs> but I was going out there to heal. I can say that today. I didn't know, but, um, I be, I went out there to do, you know, to become, yes, to become an actor and, and, or continue being an actor and explore that out there. But I think I went 3000 miles away without leaving the continent sort of as far away from my upbringing my my hometown as I could get without falling into the ocean. You know what I mean? And I think space is important. I think having your authentic feelings are important. And I think one of the things I was able to do, I think, is that space prevented me from having to do too much attacking. <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, let me go over here away from you so I can do this. I'm going to take a timeout. Timeouts are good. You know, if you've been damaged and you have to heal and you don't want to, you know, blow up your family or a person or or completely, you know, bury a relationship, maybe you just take a time out and go, let me see if I can come back to this after I go put some time into me. Because, you know, it's 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 going to be up to us. You know, once once we hit adulthood, um, we can blame others, but it's it, it's your future. Yeah. So what are you, what are you going to do? You, I, I see some of the like the language on like the the dust jacket and in in kind of overarching through the story is this kind of theme of like the power of truth to set yeah. us free, and of course that makes I mean that makes me think of spiritual language and and um, scripture and and I'm curious like as you've walked through this whole journey and growing up in in a deeply Catholic family and, and the hypocrisy that you had mentioned and, and everything awful that has happened within that. And now you've mentioned you're, you're kind of deepening your faith. I, I'm curious about what your faith journey <laughs> has looked like through that whole process. And maybe where would you say that you are now? Like, um, I think, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't like going to church. I didn't, I didn't like that. I, I wasn't into, you know, I, I'd rather go like skip out and go to the solidarity room or whatever they called it. Um, <laughs> uh, sodality room. I mean, um, you know, where they, where they were, you know, had a bake sale, you know what I mean? Like I, again, I think, you know, the, the hypocrisy that was happening at home, it, it, it there, there was a block there because of it, because I, I, it was hard to sit down after dinner or kneel and say the rosary. And then, you know, 
an hour later or, or before dinner, you know, dad was home, you know, acting crazy. Um, and very, it was very scary. So I think those were so hard to consolidate that I didn't really give or maybe have a chance to grab onto it in a, in a clean way where I could kind of make a clean choice. But what I found as I got older is doctrine, there's a way things should be in general is not something that I tend to um, hold on to. In other words, I sort of think that we have a, I have a better chance of connecting with my source, you know, with God in a, when I, when I don't put a demand that there's a way things should be. So I think that's kind of become a theme as I've grown in my spirituality. And I think it is where I am now. I try to live my life from there is not a way things should be. Meaning let people be who they are. Don't demand that other people see things the way I do. Um, don't demand that, you know, their faith or their religion or their um, politics even are mine. And they don't have to be wrong or bad in order for me to hold on to mine. And I think they used to be. And I think in the process of healing, they were wrong and I was right. You know, my people in my family who maybe didn't, you know, have as much openness around homosexuality or even more recently about me being forthright and public about my father and, and his whole self, you know, when you're attacked or you're, or you feel you're being attacked or you feel you're being judged, your character's being judged, um, it's hard not to slap back. Um, but I think where my faith is now is their truth does not affect my truth. Like I, you know, I'm not right and I'm not wrong. I'm just, I'm just living through my heart, which I think is the center of my faith. And, um, and, and the other piece of it to answer the, the question uh, in one last way is that where I am now is um, feeling that, that life at this point should be about service. And I think the healing has allowed me to get here. And I didn't, I couldn't do too much service because like they say, you know, you know, what do you have to give? You know, if, if, if you aren't grounded in yourself, you know, they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. So until you do that and you and you feel safe and solid, as you, as you said, you know, standing in your ground and your faith and your truth, it's hard to reach out, um, and be of help to others. And now I feel because I'm there that that is my mission. Yeah. What I want to do. It it sounds like a vastly more spacious, um, way of, I mean, doing faith, doing life. Like it it sounds like you've stepped into that space that you're talking about. Like Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. And there's space for, for something greater than myself, you know, my God to bring me and guide me. And, you know, I was praying this morning in my meditation, you know, because, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, 
I am a bit of a workaholic. I, I'm, you know, I'm hard, very hard on myself. I demand a lot of myself. It, you know, I've got, you know, residue from all that happened to me. It's, you know, it's not all clean and rosy every day. Um, and I, you know, but like all of us, we're flawed. We wake up into survival. And then hopefully we take some time to get into prayer or whatever centers us so that we can move out of that and into something bigger. And I think, you know, today I was very aware in my um, prayer and meditation that, that I, you know, breathe in a little too fast, a little too anxious, you know, trying to micromanage, um, you know, wanting the book to be this, wanting the book to be that, wanting to reach people. Um, and at some point, you know, it's like, use me. You know, use me, God. That's that's why I did it. And when I slip into that other space, which I do because I'm a human being, um, uh, you know, on a good day, I, you know, do what I do: turn to my prayer meditation and and ask for help because there's something else there that uh, has big plans that are bigger than I could conceive. Uh, they might not look like what I'm <laughs> planning, but generally they're bigger. And they certainly have something more to do with with others than me. And I think there's a lot of freedom and space, as you said, in making it about you and not me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. This is shifting things a little bit, but I mean, sure. you mentioned you mentioned your acting, um, yeah. and and like I think if if I'm gathering this correctly, like this book kind of was birthed out of the play that you put together, right? The, or the performance. Um, yeah. I'd yeah. Love, could you uh, talk about that a little bit? And, sure. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. Speaking of walking in, in other shoes. All right. Um, so I decided after my father passed. So as an actress, I've performed two solo shows, um, coincidentally or not after my mother passed about uh, 15 years ago, um, soon after that, I decided to create a solo show in one of the in two acts, and one of the acts was her passing and sort of telling the family story through her getting cancer and that process. Um, and then um, the other piece of that was my father's birthday party. So it was a show that was twelve characters, many of my siblings, family friends, and my parents. Then fast forward to the show that literally launched hiding out, uh, was called secrets of a Holy father. And I made a decision soon after my dad had passed maybe a year or so to take a very big leap and play him to write a show completely to the best of my ability from his point of view through his voice and only playing him. So the entire show was my father. It was me. Um, I think fair to say transformed into him. And it was an amazing, frightening, terrifying, <laughs> and satisfying experience. It ruffled some feathers in my family. Obviously, it's not as public as this book, but um, I started developing it, I suppose, about five years ago, five, six years ago. And then I performed it off Broadway and took it out to LA, where a literary agent saw it and suggested that I write the book. And of course the book is my point of view, which is wonderful because <clears throat> I had the chance to quote walk in his shoes. 
I started to understand things about him. And I said, as I said earlier, feel like I knew him pretty well. Sides of him that other people didn't know. Certainly the homosexual side. Um, and I also, but I learned other things, you know, to play a character for those non-actors out there. Um, you know, you're, you, you're asked to not judge. The demand is really not to judge because no matter if you're playing a serial killer or, you know, Mother Teresa, you don't, you can't judge because you can't be three dimensional. You know what I mean? Just, and that was a gift because to have to step into his shoes and write uh, his words or what I thought would be his words to take on his physicality, uh, his pain. He had some, uh, you know, quite a bit of physical pain. Um, in his life, ulcers, stomach things, not surprising. Um, one of the most interesting things that I learned um, that I, I hope your audience will really take to heart about their own parents, particularly those who maybe whose parents don't support who they're being in their lives and their lifestyle, their life choice. Um, I remember in a rehearsal with Susan Batson, uh, doing a scene and when I finished I think it was a private moment scene so it was a scene where my dad was in private so he was really exposed and I remember finishing the scene and finishing you know sort of the talking with her talking it through and sort of having this crazy epiphany and that was that my it was like he didn't want to be that way like he didn't, he didn't want to be that. In other words, he didn't want to be mean, angry, volatile. He suffered deeply as a result of that behavior. And I, I mean, and I thought I was kind of ahead of the game with this relationship and, you know, how oh, don't I know it all? You know, I've done, done the work, but that level of understanding that your parents may be behaving a certain way or speaking certain words, but doesn't always give you the subtext. It doesn't always get, oftentimes, get to the struggle that they're having about their stuff. It has nothing to do with you. And as a kid, I just saw my dad as this mean, you know, when I was little, I was just like, he's just mean and he's scary. And there was one dimension there was one dimension, and I think our job as human beings, especially in the family and from a place of particularly of faith, is to really tr come to accept our parents and all of our family as people and, not, and take that label off of it. Like, that's my dad. That's my mom. They should. If they're my mom, they should or they should have. It's like you get to an age and you're like, oh, I do that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not always the way they want to be behaving. And that's, that was really such a huge eye opener doing the show. Those kind of discoveries were priceless. Mm -hmm. Wow. That like, <clears throat> I think I, a topic that I feel like comes up so often on this podcast is, is this kind of idea of embodiment. Um, mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that experience of, I mean, have like method acting, but having to mm. actually put yourself into almost the body of another. Um, mm. It sounds like an, such an embodied way of healing. Like, 
Yeah, it. it uh, I have to say it was really profound. Like I don't, I've played a lot of characters, <coughs> excuse me, but um, I don't think I ever had a feeling that I completely transformed. Like I, I've, I feel like I, I do, ha- I do, I have transformed, but in a way that I was, it's almost like in a weird way he, he, he did come through me like completely, like I was not there. It was him. And it, it was, div- it was divine, frankly. Um, and one of the things that, it, because of particularly the, the podcast that, that, that you have, um, that might be worth saying is that the second, so I did, I did the show and I basically told, let him sort of tell his life story through scenes. So it wasn't like talky talk. It was like scenes. A lot of them were with, were with me, uh, my mother, what have you. But the, the second part of the, the show is that after he passes, he's in the afterlife and he's trying to work it out. And that was amazing because I never saw my dad with complete freedom but the choice that I made to put him in the afterlife, of course, physically, he was, you know, like a, like a hummingbird, <laughs> you know, he was completely free, he could fly and dance and jump. And, and yet he was struggling to, to, to still work it out so he could sort of move on. So I didn't, I didn't exactly call it purgatory. He wasn't burning or something, but it was, it was a, it was an in-between. It was an in-between stop where he had to pause and go, I think I got to clean this up a little bit more before I'm, I'm headed over there. That was super cool. Hmm. Ah, wow. Well, I mean, I, I'm just, the word like gift came to mind. Like it feels like such a gift to be able to both hold your own story and his own, his story in a place of almost tenderness, like an understanding yeah. maybe like it's, yeah, I mean that was kind of the the shock of um, some of the the a little a little bit you know not everyone but I had a few I had a few family members who um, you know very devout Catholics and um, you know even the fact that my dad had you know uh, so many encounters with many of the popes actually all the popes of his lifetime he met um, and those kinds of things which I which I know you know that sort of thing, even a photograph is sacred. But the thing is to, to say someone lived a homosexual life or in the closet or however you want to label it, um, in the face of he's a holy man standing with the Pope, um, that doesn't have to be separated. We don't have to say darkness, light. I mean, unless you're calling it that, you know, that's wrong. This is right. We can't put those together. First of all, it's not wrong. <laughs> he, he lived in a time particularly where, you know, society wasn't going to embrace, um, you know, that lifestyle, 50s, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s. It was a different world. Um, so I think that's, you know, that part of compartmentalizing. And I think what the gift for me is I don't compartmentalize my father. He wasn't a holy man over here and, you know, snorting poppers with me over here at the club. He's like, he's one guy. He's consolidated to me. And that's a great gift of having played him, um, walked, you know, walked in his life and been in his life in a, 
I think, a three-dimensional way, which some of my siblings, in fact, all my siblings, of course, did not have that experience with him. So I understand that that would be, you know, the details of that might be challenging. Um, but nevertheless, it all comes back to not judging, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, goodness. That's, I, I, like, I'm just sitting here with this sense of kindness and and i think that word space like keeps coming back to me of just like it feels like such a beautiful thing to be able to hold your story even with all the pain um in that space of i mean you said not judging like non-judgment like mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's 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 a um it's so much lighter Mm. you know to, to walk around in that um because you know, the fallacy, it's just a fallacy that we can control, you know, people, places and things, our families, what people think of us. Um, you know, again, it just comes back to who are we going to be in the face of, you know, we have uh, this family, you know, we have this government, we have this um, town we live in, that might be more conservative than we would would prefer you know we might prefer it a little different and it's like okay but that's what it is so now what are you going to do about it who are you going to be and this and and i think you know having that as best we can you know we're we're i think that's what christ said you know essentially at the heart of everything is he wasn't a judgmental guy (laughs) he just wasn't and the fact that christians um some christians sometimes appear to be the most critical and judgmental, not all, of course, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the the faction that we're all aware of, the ones that say, you know, um, you know, Father James Martin shouldn't be speaking at Catholic University because he wrote a book called Building Bridges, uh, you know, with the LGBT community and, and the church. He's encouraging, you know, conversation and coming together. And and now there's a small group of people who will say, no, I judge those people. And since you're trying to not judge those people, I'm going to judge you, too. And I was like, what is, how does that have anything to do with what Jesus said? Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I don't, I mean, yeah, like, come on. I don't, what yeah. book are you reading? <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Uh. Well, Tina, like, thank you so very oh, much. This thank has been you. A delight. I was super excited uh, when my publicist uh, at HarperCollins um, had sent this over to me and said, you know, they like the talk, and I looked you up, and I was like, this is so good Ugh. because I love the idea that you know, I love the idea of of having these conversations, mm-hmm. you know, about faith. It doesn't happen uh, a lot yeah. um, in our world where we can pause and and get into this. So I, I celebrate you mm. and your podcast and what mm. you're doing and your audience that's, you know, looking to live a deeper and fuller existence. Mm. And it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be sure to pick up a copy of Tina's new book, Hiding Out, a memoir of drugs, deceptions, and double lives, wherever you get books. Uh, Tina's on Twitter and Instagram at Tina Alexis Allen, and you can find out more about her at her website, TinaAlexisAllen.com. 
Quirology is on Twitter and Instagram at QuirologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is produced with support from Sean McDormand, Tim Schrader, Natalie England, and 45 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you might help support Quirology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support Quirology is by leaving a rating or a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com review, and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas about what you want to hear on the show, or if you just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. Until next week, y'all. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.